All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022. And we are ready to jump in to the Torah portion, Vayakel. Um, we are up to, what is today? Today is Wednesday, as we said, so it's the fourth reading. Okay, we can, we can do this. We can do this. I have the text ready to go. Let me pull it up and let's get rolling. So where we're holding in Vayakel, hey, Olya, welcome. Where we're holding in Vayakel is that we're reading about the construction of the Mishkan in real time. I mean, not like real, real time, but in real time then. So we've, we've talked about the vision that God has about the Mishkan delivering it to Moses, shares the, shares the vision. We got that. That's in the books. Moses gathers the people, gives them the general plan in the books. Now it actually is happening. Exodus chapter 36, verse number eight, fourth reading. Then all the wise-hearted people of the performers of the work made the Mishkan. It's actually happening right now. This is real time. This is amazing. They made the Mishkan out of 10 curtains consisting of twisted fine linen and blue and purple and crimson wool. So the first thing that's mentioned is that they made the curtains. I don't believe we had any manufacturing yesterday. Let me just double check. No, we didn't. Yesterday we read about the donations and the people, the, the crafts people were appointed and they said it's, it's, it's the donations came in and the donations are, are enough and even too much. And now the first thing that's mentioned in the actual creation of the Mishkan, the first thing is the curtains, the Uriah, as they're known in Hebrew, the curtains. What were the curtains made out of? Twisted fine linen and blue, purple and crimson wool. Nice, beautiful combination. Uh, also, shatnas, wool and linen together, but that's not for personal use. That's only for divine use. A cherubim design. Well, we had different opinions about what that was. Was it angels? Was it looking like animals? We had different opinions. Anyway, a cherubim design, the work of a master weaver, he made them. This is probably referring to Betzalel, who was the, the head crafter. Okay, let's continue. The length of one curtain was 28 cubits. All of this that we're mentioning now was the, sa the same specs. It's all the same specs that God told Moses. Same size. So the length of the curtain was, well, one of each curtain was 28 cubits. And the width of one curtain was four cubits. The same measure for all the curtains. In other words, all the curtains were four by 28 or 28 by four. And he joined five of these curtains to one another. And the other five curtains, he also joined to one another. So he he um, uh, connected five curtains to each other and then another five to each other. And then he made loops of blue wool on the edge of one curtain that is at the edge of the first set. And he did the same on the edge of the outermost curtain of the second set, as we explained a few weeks ago when we talked about the vision, God's vision of what these curtains look like. There were two sets of five curtains at the edges where they met. At the edges, there were loops on both sides. Both sides, there were loops. How many loops you want to know? Verse 12, he made 50 loops on the edge of one curtain, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain in the second set. The loops corresponded to one another. So again, you have the curtains cover the Mishkan building. So now you have curtains overlaying 
the building. The building is a rectangle building, right? With a certain height. I think it was 10 amos, 15 feet high and whatever wide. So these curtains are now running the span um, across, across the width, not the length, across the width of the Mishkan building, five and five, and they're positioned next to each other, loops and loops. And then how do you attach the loops to each other? It's not loop and hook, it's loops and loops. So what do you do? Verse 13, you get golden clasps. Here we go. And he made 50 golden clasps. These are kind of just, you know, things to hold the two loops together. And he fastened the curtains to one another with the clasps. So did the Mishkan become one. There you go. <laughs> the two sets of curtains united with the loops and the clasps. And then, okay, let's continue. So that was the curtains, the covering of the Mishkan. And then he made curtains of goat hair. Oh, if you recall, there were layers of coverings for the Mishkan building. First, there was the, uh, the curtains uh, made of the woolen linen. And then there was goat hair. Goat hair curtain. Um, then he made curtains of goat hair for, for a tent over the Mishkan. He made them 11 curtains. As you recall from a few weeks ago, in the vision of the curtains, it was meant to be a, 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 a bottom layer of curtains and then a larger upper layer of curtains, 11 instead of, uh, instead of 10 curtains. So they, they hung over even more. And uh, the width was even longer than the previous one. The length of one curtain was not 28 cubits. It was... 30 cubits of these uh, goat hair, goat hair uh, curtains. 30 cubits and the width of one curtain was four cubits, same width, the same measure for the 11 curtains. And he joined the five curtains, the five goat hair curtains by themselves and the other six curtains, because 11 total for the goat hair, by themselves. And he made, once again, the same concept with the woolen linen um, curtains he does with the, with, the, with the goat hair curtains. He made 50 loops on the edge of the outermost curtain of the first set and 50 loops on the edge of the outermost curtain of the second set. And then he made 50 copper clasps, not gold this time. Gold was for the bottom set of curtains. These are the, this is the upper set of curtains. These have copper clasps to fasten the tent together so that it became one. On top of this, third layer, he made a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red. And another layer, according to most opinions, a covering of tachash skins above. We had two different opinions on this. One says that the ram skins and the tachash skins were both on the third layer side by side. But another opinion, which I feel like, let's just go with that opinion, says that no, there were actually four layers. The first layer was the woolen linen. Second layer was the goat hair. Third layer was ram skins dyed red, red ram skins. And the fourth layer was the tachash skins. Tachash, different opinions, but I like the multicolored unicorn one. So that's what I'm going with. If you walked into that Mishkan, you looked like bird's eye view. It's like, whoa, that's a pretty cool building. Multicolor roof. Very, um, very in town, I'm just going to say. Like very, you know, very hip. Okay. All make sense? Just checking in before we go to the next reading. I mean, it's all straightforward, I must say. It's, it's pretty much just telling us that they did what they had been told to do. It's everything that was discussed before in the, in the instructions is being repeated now. Let's continue. We're doing reading five today because we're not, we don't meet tomorrow because tomorrow's Thursday and I have JLI tomorrow. 
So we're just going to do another reading today. And it may be short just because it's pretty much the stuff that we know. Then he made the planks. It's interesting. He first made the curtains and then he made the structure of the Mishkan. He made the planks for the Mishkan of Akeshua, upright. Beams, upright standing beams of Akeshua. Ten cubits was the length of each plank. I'm going to call that the height. Length, but I mean, it's standing up. It's the height of each plank. Oh, I said 10 cubits before, about 15 feet. And a cubit and a half was the width of each plank. So imagine a plank of wood, 15 by two and a quarter feet-ish. Each plank had two square pegs at the bottom, rung-like, one even with the other, two feet at the bottom of the plank. So did he make for all the planks of the Mishkan. By the way, all this he, he so did he make, who's the he? Betzalo. Betzalo was the, 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 the lead builder. Ahaliyah was his assistant, and of course he had other help. He didn't do all this single-handedly, but it means, you know, everything's attributed to him. He made it. He oversaw it. And he made the planks for the Mishkan. How many planks? We just talked about each plank, but how many planks? 20 planks for the southern, for the southern side. The southern side would have been the long edge of the Mishkan. So it's 20. Remember, it's like a rectangle building like this. Bird's eye view like this. So imagine the, the long end, 20 cubits. Sorry, 20 planks. 20 planks times one and a half cubits is... What's 20 times one and a half? It's uh, 30. I'm not wrong here, right? 20 times 1.5 is 30. 30 cubits, 45 feet. 30 cubits long, the length on the southern side. And for those 20 planks, because each plank had two pegs at the bottom, right? Two square pegs, we just said. So if you have 20 planks, how many sockets do you need? Each socket holds one peg. 20 times two is 40. So he made 40 silver sockets under the 20 planks. Again, each plank had two square pegs. So if you have 20 planks, you need 40 silver sockets. The math all lines up. Two sockets under one plank. Here we go. Torah says it clearly. Two sockets under one plank or under each plank for its two square pegs and two sockets under one plank for its two square pegs. In other words, each and every plank had two square pegs and two sockets. And for the second side of the Mishkan, on the northern side, in other words, the other length. So we have top and bottom, top and bottom down here, 20, 20, right? Second side of the northern side, second side of the Mishkan, on the northern side, he made, once again, 20 planks. It was a rectangle. And there are 40 silver sockets, two sockets under one plank and two sockets under one plank. Very consistent. What about the western side? What about the smaller side? What about the, the east and west? East and west. What about that? And for the western end of the Mishkan, western end, by the way, was where the Holy of Holies was. That was the western side. The western end, though, is the wall. What's the western end? How many planks? He made six planks. Six planks. And he made two planks to the corners of the Mishkan at the end. Oh, and we said before, ah, we had a whole, we had a picture on this. So it was a little bit complicated. You had four planks, but you had another two. So really, it's, um, I'm sorry, you had six planks, but another two, which really made eight planks. But those other planks 
were they swallowed up part of the wall running along the northern and southern side. I feel like I want to get into this, even though it's very technical, but I feel like um, it's, it's, it's also fun to get into. So imagine this is the western side. Does this, is this the western side for you guys or the eastern side? Northeast, southwest. Is this north? Is this west or east? This side right here. Like, is this right or left for you guys? Who wants to weigh in on this? Left. Like, this is okay. left? Yeah, okay. like if you look so at it. This is left, and this is going to be, if this is west, right? If this is left, yeah, I guess it is, right? Then this is the western side. Good. So the western side is marked by, remember, this is a bird's eye view, right? So we're looking down from the top. Bird's eye view. So these are 20 planks on the top, 20 in the bottom. Each plank is a cubit and a half. So 30 cubits, 30 cubits. And then here you have six planks. But then he says plus two at each end. So that's not six, it's eight. So why do we say six and then plus two? Like what's, what? that's a weird way of counting. So the explanation is like this, that these planks, right? So, uh, you know, if you go like this, they were lined up one, two, three, four, five, six. And then you had seven and eight. The seventh and eight, the ones in the corners, the two planks in the corners, the walls that were going on the other side, right? They met like mm, trying to see if I can if I can do my hands like this, right? They met like this, where the where the, the wall on the longer side didn't go on the outside of those walls on this on the shorter end, but it went like this so that it made a nice flat edge over here. So it was kind of swallowed up by the width, part of it was swallowed up by the width of these planks. So it didn't go like this, it went like this. I have a lot of experience with this stuff because I set up a lot of tables at Chabad over the years. I've done a lot of table setup. And I know when you're set up, you make a square of four tables or six tables, there's a thousand ways to do it. I mean, not really a thousand ways, but like, do you put, so it's like two, 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 eight tables, two, 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 two. All right. So are these two tables, like you make it as a square or as a rectangle this way, that way, depends on whether you put the width of one table against the width of the other table or you put on the outside of the table. Right? Do you go like, like this or like this? Anyway, if that makes any sense to anybody, great. But the point is like this. Six planks plus two planks at the corners. Those two planks at the corners and both, you know, this is the shorter edge, the western end, the northern and southern part of, the, of that western side. The planks took, were, were the, the, other, the other planks went inside those planks so that the inside area wasn't the full eight planks long okay every everything that i'm saying makes sense to me but I, i'm sure it's not coming out so clearly but i apologize all right next verse 29 and they were matched evenly from above from below and together they match at its top to be put into the one ring so did he make for both of them for the two corners and that means exactly what i said it made a very smooth it made a very smooth thing. No, no, the walls weren't sticking out. It wasn't like, you know, planks sticking out from out, you know, jutting out from the wall. It all made seamless, seamless lines in the two corners. Now, and there were eight planks, as we just said, and their silver sockets and eight times two, because each plank had two pegs. So how many sockets did you need? 16 sockets, two sockets under one plank and two sockets under one plank. And there was each and every plank had two sockets 
for the two pegs of that plank, eight times two is 16. And then he made bars of acacia wood, five for the planks of one side of the Mishkan, and five bars for the planks of the second side of the Mishkan, <laughs> and five bars for the planks of the rear side of the Mishkan on the westward end. Okay, what are these bars? One second. He made bars of acacia wood. Right. Bars of acacia wood. These are not planks. These are bars. These were the supports. These were the supports. The bars that went not up and down, but went side to side. Okay? These were the boards. Uh, the, the, the supports. Bars of acacia wood. Five. One side. Five for the other side. Five bars for the rear, five bar, um, on the western end. And he made the middle bar to penetrate in the midst of the planks from the one end to the other end. That was the the middle bar. I, we've called them poles before, kind of like a pole, but I guess it was more of a bar. Um, it went, so there were bar support bars. It's kind of like when you build the fence, you know, you'll put up, right? Think about a fence, a picket fence. You have, you know, the vertical, the vertical beams or whatever, pickets, I guess, as, as it were. And then, of course, you have horizontal supports. That's what keeps the frame up. So these are middle bars. I mean, these are, these are bars, five bars that kind of keep the whole thing standing up and, and solid. And then the middle bar, it was a hole in the planks and it was put into all the planks, through all the planks in the middle, and that was miraculous because it went around and made made 90 degree turns and went around the Mishkan, kind of like a cool, magical middle bar. Okay, now what did the Mishkan actually look like? So he's this is how it's it's being made. This is all how it's being made. And he overlaid the planks of the Mishkan with gold. So when you looked at the Mishkan, you didn't see wood, you saw gold because it was it was plated with gold. And the rings, the rings. He made with gold as holders for the bars. The bar, we just talked about the bars, the support beams, support bars. Those bars were held with gold rings. And he overlaid the bars with gold. The, the, gar, the bars were also gold. So when you looked at the Mishkan, you saw golden walls because the wood was covered with gold. And the bars, the support bars, covered with gold. And the rings to hold the bars, covered with gold. All right, let's continue. And he made, he is Betzal, and he made, and his, and his crew, Betzal and his crew. And he made the dividing curtain, the dividing curtain. I'm assuming that's the curtain inside that building between the space called the Holies, or the Holy, yeah, the Holies and the Holy of Holies. The Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodesh. Between where the menorah was, for example, and where the Ark was. The Ark was on the inside, like the innermost inside. So that, what, what separated the two? A dividing curtain. What was the dividing curtain made of? He made it of blue, purple, and crimson wool and twisted fine linen, the work of a master weaver. He made it in a woven cherubim design. All right, and he made for it four pillars of acacia wood. And he overlaid them with gold. I mean, think about it. Think about it. If you build, if you build like a little, not a little, if you build a, a warehouse, not a warehouse. If you build a room and you want to divide the room into two parts, you need to put up a wall, 
right? You gotta put up a wall. So he made four pillars of acacia wood for the inside. And he overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were gold. And he cast for them four silver sockets. And he made a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue, purple, and crimson woolen, twisted fine linen, the work of an embroiderer. Oh, hold on. Before we get to 37, one second. So four pillars, four, that's what held, that's the frame on the inside of the building that held the curtain that divided between the main section and the Holy of Holies. They didn't go into the Holy of Holies on the regular. That was once a year, Yom Kippur, the high priest, one guy, one, one day a year, right? He went into the, to, to the Holy of Holies. Otherwise, when you walk into the building, there was a curtain. Behind the curtain was the ark. But you didn't see the ark. There was a curtain. What held up the curtain? A curtain not over the top. A curtain that was going up and down. A dividing curtain. Think of um, any, I don't know, any curtain that you have in your house, right? A curtain that's hanging up, right? It, it drapes from top to bottom. What was holding that inside the building? A frame. Four pillars of acacia wood with gold with hooks and sockets. That was it. That's what held up the, uh, the dividing curtain. And he made a screen. Now, then you had another screen, another curtain for the entrance to the building. And he made a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue, purple, and crimson wool and twisted fine linen, the work of an embroiderer. So he made that for the outside. Again, there was two, there were curtains on top of the building serving as a roof for three or four levels, layers of curtains. And then you had to walk into the building, to, the, to, to that Mishkan building, there was a dividing curtain. And once you got in, there was another dividing curtain on the inside, separating between the Holy of Holies. So now we're talking about the outer entrance. The outer entrance also had a screen made of blue, purple, crimson, wool, and twisted fine linen. And of course, it also need to, needed to be held up by a frame because the curtains don't hang themselves. You can't just like throw a curtain in the air and it's going to freeze. That doesn't happen. You ne it needs to be on a you know, on a frame. What was the frame? It's five pillars and their hooks. And he overlaid their tops and their bands with gold. And their five sockets were copper, not silver, but they were copper. Interesting. Little, little, uh, little tweaks with the materials over here with the sockets. Rabbi? Yes. So the first paragraph um, says, then all the wise-hearted people of the performers of the work made the Michigan. But... Okay. Every paragraph he. says he did. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I mentioned kind of parenthetically that although he didn't make everything himself, but since he oversaw everything <laughs> and he was the one that kind of, so he gets the credit. Donna, gets, yeah. Donna, think about it this way. All of the jewelry workshops, who right. made the jewelry, right? You <laughs> made the jewelry. Okay. Everyone also made the jewelry, but you right. get the credit because it's right. Yeah. You, you're the, you're the, um, Designer. Yeah, you're the guide and the inspiration. Right. right. Thank but you. Yes. Thank it you. took a team. There was, there's no doubt that it took a team. There was a massive effort at the same time. But Salo gets the credit. Oh, by the way, by the way, look at the next verse along along the lines of what you of, of this concept. Look at look at Exodus chapter 37. Suddenly the Torah says, but Salo made the ark. It doesn't say he. You know how many times it said he so far? I mean, should we count? Um, he one. Oh, it's also the last reading. You know what? Forget it. We're not going to go back and count. It must be dozens of times. It says he did this. He did that. He did the other. He, 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 he. Suddenly, when it comes to the ark, 
Bitzalel. We give him a name. Why not he? What's oh, and by the way, the next verse, he, he, right? It, it continues with the he's, but suddenly it's Bitzalel. Rashi says, since he devoted himself to the work of the ark more than the other wise men, it was called by his name. There you go. There's something about the ark or some, well, you know what? You could really understand this Rashi two ways, either because he was more invested than the team. So everything is attributed to his name, or that's why it says Betzalel made the ark. I, I don't know Rashi's intention. It's a little bit vague, to be honest, but I think both are true. Number one, what, to answer your question, why the he? Because he was the guy, he was the overseer. He was invested in this. It was his project, so to speak. Everyone participated, but it was his. He owned it. But I want to say something else. Why by the ark does it tell us the word Betzalel? Because the ark, of course, was the holiest item. It and could we, also be, excuse me, Rabbi, it could be an insight to go above and beyond, right? Because that's what he did. Yeah, and right, 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 exactly. The go honor. Beyond and exactly. Yeah. And maybe with the ark, maybe he did less delegation. Maybe right. he was even more hands-on because some things you can't delegate. Right. It's like you can delegate. I'm just trying to think you can delegate. Um, I don't know. You can delegate. You, you can do Instacart for shopping and you can do um, what are you? You can delegate and you can have other things, but it's hard to delegate showing up to your uh, your brother's birthday party. And you can't really delegate that. Plus, right? it's also a mitzvah to prepare for Shabbos yourself. Right, and <laughs> right, exactly. Right, so let's cook, make make your own potato cook. But right, you could you could you know get help and buy some food. But it's also good to do something. So with the ark, it seems like there's a there's a special emphasis on Betzal's effort, and it's not surprising the ark was the holiest item of the Mishkan, and uh, he was invested. Okay, so Betzal made the ark of acacia wood, and again, same specs as before. Actually, let me pull Rashi back on because there's so little Rashi. We'll just keep it up. Um, so Betzal made the Ark of Acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high, two and a half by one and a half by one and a half. That was the size of the Ark. And as we know from the original uh, plan, he overlaid it with pure gold from inside and from out, three boxes, the inner box, outer box, the middle box was wood. So he overlaid the wood with pure gold from inside and from outside, and he made for it a golden crown all around, little design. And he cast four golden rings for it upon its four corners, two rings on one side and two rings on its other side. So two and two and two. And of course, what were those rings for? They were for the poles to carry it. And he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. So he had wooden poles that looked like gold because they were covered with gold. And he inserted the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. This is actually happening. This is not what should be done. This is as it was done. He put the poles in. It's kind of cool. And he made an ark cover. That's the kaporet. It's the cover of pure gold. This is not wood with gold. This is pure gold. Two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide to cover the ark. And he made from that cover two golden cherubim. He made them of hammer work from the two ends of the ark cover, which means he didn't create a cover and then attach the angelic figurines. No, 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 no. He took a piece of a large piece of gold, hammered it out, creating a cover and the design. One cherub 
emerged from the one end and the other cherub from the other end, from the ark cover. He made the cherubim from its two ends. From the ark cover means from the same piece of gold as the ark cover. These came out. The cherubim had their wings spread upwards, shielding the ark cover with their wings and their faces toward one another. I'm going to speak about that in a second. Turned toward the ark cover with the faces of the cherubim. They faced each other, according to the commentaries, when things were good. When times were good between us and God, the two angels faced each other. A miracle happened. When we were not acting the way we should act, miraculously, even though it's not possible because it's hammered out of one piece of gold, the angels they, or the figures, they turned away from each other back to back. Powerful stuff, powerful stuff. Um, and he made a table. Okay, so that's the ark. Next, he made a table, the shulchan of acacia wood. You remember what this was for, right? The table? That was the little table that had the two stacks of the bread, the showbread. He made a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, one cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. So it's two by one by one and a half. He overlaid it once again with pure gold, and he made for it a golden crown all around, the little design flourish. And he made for it a frame. Frame is what holds the bread, like a baker's rack. He made a frame, a handbreadth wide all around, and he made a golden crown for its frame all around. And he cast for it four golden rings, two and two, and he placed the rings in the four corners that are on his four legs. The rings were opposite the frame as holders for the poles with which to carry the table. And once again, he made the poles of acacia wood, and he overlaid them with gold to carry the table. And Betzal also made, and his crew made, the implements that are on the table. It's forms, that means like the molds for the bread, it's spoons, it's half pipes, and it supports with which it will be covered of pure gold. All of that was built out by Betzal and Co. for the sake of the Mishkan. All right, that takes us to the end of this reading, and that takes us really to the end of what we're going to focus on today. You know, as you notice, I actually have Rashi toggled on, right? Go find me a stretch of verses like this without any Rashi. I mean, this is incredible. There's a reason why, because we've discussed all this stuff before, a few weeks ago. When God told Moses about all this stuff, Rashi then got into all the details. Now, okay, it was done. <laughs> it was built. The Torah repeats it. By the way, the question comes up. I was going to say this for Friday, but I'm not going to. I'll mention this now. Why does the Torah need to tell us how he made everything? He made the ark, two cubits, by what? I have a very simple thing, very simple solution. One verse. And Betzalel and co. made everything that God had commanded Moses. Done. They made the whole mish. We know it. And, and oh, what did he make? Go back to Shumat a few weeks ago. It's got the full list. Why do we need to repeat all the details now? So classic answer that the Rebbe gives, and I've shared it before, but I think I always, I always think about this this week, these weeks, and I think it's very important to live by. Um, and that is that there's two Mishkans. There's two Mishkans. There's the Mishkan envisioned by God on Mount Sinai, relating who related it god related it to moses that's one mishkan that's what we would call the theoretical mishkan that's the vision of the mishkan that's the mishkan on paper and then there's the mishkan that actually gets built 
And that's the one that we're reading about right now. But he made this, he made that, he made the other. And the Torah says he matched it up to the specs. But here's the thing. A human being is never going to get it 100% perfect. And again, we've talked about this many times. If you take the blueprint of your house, right? And then you start measuring with a uh, measuring tape. You don't think you're going to find the wall a half an inch off, right? Is the wall going to be a little bit curved, a little bit this, the floors? Of course. Why? Because we're human. We're flawed. Materials are flawed. There's nothing perfect in life. And that's the message for us. There's two mishkans, two temples. There's the vision of the temple that's perfect. And then there's the implementation, which is the best we got. And the Torah is honoring our contribution, our building, even though it's not perfect. The Torah honors it by repeating all the details. Had the Torah just told us God's vision to Moses and then said, and the Jews did it, we would have thought they did it, but what are you going to do? It's not, it's not perfect. It wasn't ideal or whatever. Or you might have thought that somehow they were like, you know, they were miracle people that got it right. That, that what the Torah is telling us is that there is nobility, that there's something very precious about a human being's effort to create a space for God, to try to live up to the divine ideal of what that space looks like. And there's something sacred even when that doesn't exactly pan out. And I know the Torah doesn't say it didn't pan out. The Torah says he did it. So it seems like he did, he did do it. But as the Rebbe explains, he did it, but you know, it's not going to be as perfect as that vision. It's, not gonna be ever, it's never going to be as perfect as, you know, when you have, um, uh, you know, sometimes you see like architectural, um, not even drawings, but like, you know, they have like videos, like 3D videos of, like, oh, we're opening up a new condo building and here are the units and this is what it looks like. It will never look that nice. It's just never going to actually look exactly that nice. It's just not. Because it's like a perfect rendering, you know, and real life is not perfect. And that's the point. Real life is not perfect. The Torah honors both the perfect ideal and the imperfect reality. And the Torah says... Where does God actually reside? In our imperfect efforts. That's because that's really where heaven came down to earth in our Mishka, not in the vision, but in the, in, the, in the one that we built. I know we're not up there yet. We didn't get to the verse that says, and God, God's glory rested in the Mishka. And that's Friday we'll read that verse. But that means that God blesses our imperfection and honors it. And says, you know what? We're going to repeat all these verses. Hundreds, not, I don't know, hundreds, but many, many verses. Dozens, at least dozens of verses will be repeated. I mean, not exactly repeated. Before it says, this is what you should do. And now it says, this is what was done. But essentially, the content is the same. Rashi doesn't do double commentary on this. Because we already said this. The Torah wishes to remind us how precious this is. God loves our building. The best we got, God loves that. And God says, you know what? I'm going to dedicate another series of verses to your contribution, to your building. Not just to my vision, but to your building. So let's remember this.
We're not perfect. We're human beings. But we strive to match, to meet expectations. And God loves that. God doesn't hold us to a perfection, to a standard of perfection, because he knows we're not perfect. But the effort, that's necessary. And please, God, God blesses our efforts and then rests amongst us. All right, that's... And, and the children of Israel took ownership of, of the building, of the process. Yeah, they participated, they donated, they stepped up, they built, they sewed, they wove the goats, right? Tavos Izim. Yeah. I don't know, wove, whatever. They uh, spun, not wove. They spun the goats. Yeah. It's a very, very, very important lesson. It's also interesting. Right. So like we, we associate, you know, high level like Judaism with Torah study and scholars and rabbis, but these are people putting the same heart and love with their hands. Rolling up the sleeves. Right. Pulling out the tools and hammers and building. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And the truth is we're still supposed to do that. Number one, take the ownership because there's God's vision, but, but, but are we stepping up? That's number one. Number two, what you said is um, the idea of rolling up our sleeves and getting out there. That was definitely a big focus of the Rebbe's uh, of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He was like, okay, you're in yeshiva, let's say yeshiva student. So that's like a very holy task, but definitely once a week, you know, close the books and go out there and roll up your sleeves and ask others to roll up their sleeves, wrap tefillin and uh, make it happen. And, and comes, comes Sukkot, right? Get a poor, a sukkah mobile, put a sukkah on the back of a flatbed truck and just drive around and offer free cookies and drinks and lulav and estrog shaking for anyone who needs and Pesach deliver matzah, bring matzah to those Hanukkah. Who needs a menorah? Like just get out there. We got to build this. We got to make this happen. So it's, it's a beautiful lesson. The Rebbe would talk. This is the early years. I'm talking about like the 50s. If you look back at what the Rebbe said in the 50s, you know, a person might a person might say that I'm a scholar. I'm a you know I'm a this. Let other people do the uh, you know the um, hit the hit the hit the road hit the ground. The Rebbe was not fond about that. The Rebbe was not was not happy. I mean, he was like, no, even, even the scholar, close the book. And uh, he says, ah, you're taking away time from your scholarship, from your studies? Don't worry. The same God that runs the world will also bless your, your efforts, the time that you have, right? And the, the less amount of time that you have will make your learning that much richer, that much more concentrated, so that you'll accomplish everything you need to accomplish and more in less time. It's like tide liquid right it's like you can get the regular stuff or like the concentrated stuff you only need a half a cup instead of a whole cup perfect less liquid same potency anyway it's good to roll up the sleeves it's good i think of my experience building i don't know i don't know my experience building built a sukkah built very few things relatively few things. ikea stuff um but also camp we used to build like backdrops and and plays and productions and stuff Good memories. Good memories. We did a, uh, a play years ago, Hanukkah. It's called Striking Oil. That's what it was called. Striking Oil. I've told you about my Exodus experiences with playing Moses in Montreal. 
This was, we did it twice. We did it in, well, we did three times in New Jersey one year. The next year we did it in Miami or in South Florida. And then the next year we did it in Los Angeles. We did three years. We created backdrops, very unique backdrops. We took five gallon buckets, filled them with cement, put in poles before it set, obviously. Used painter telescoping poles, created special hooks to hold blinds. These massive blinds painted on both sides of the blinds, two backdrops, and changed the scenes by turning the blinds. Are you with me? So we had like a temple, for Hanukkah, we had a temple backdrop and a Jews hiding out in the caves backdrop. So any temple scene, we had the temple backdrop, any like Maccabee scenes, you know, out there in the, in the wild, we had another thing. So we literally changed the scenes. Somebody went over a stage and boom, turned it. This was our way out. This was a, a portable traveling theater. We had a van and everything fit in the back of a van, three, three or four buckets or whatever it was. Yeah. Maybe more cement buckets. They were very heavy. Um, telescoping poles that fold up and some blinds. That was it. Anyway, the ingenuity of yeshiva students never, never doubt the ingenuity of a bunch of, uh, People studying Talmud all day. All right. Good stuff. Good to see you all. Oh, speaking of, of Talmud study and Jewish law, we have a new series coming up right after the current um, JLI meditation class. It's called You Be the Judge. It's true crime and civil cases that have, that have come before a bet in a Jewish court of law. And we're going to go through the cases, look at the Talmudic, you know, um, legal considerations and then come to our own decisions about these cases. So if you like, you know, law and justice and, and crime and punishment and all that stuff, you're going to love, you're going to love this course. It's called You Be the Judge. Check it out on the website, intownjewishacademy.org slash judge. Okay, that's it for now. So tonight is Torah Studies. Tonight's class topic is, I'll do it for you. The secret glue to sustainable relationships. Look at that. Tonight at 7.30. Hope to see you there. All right. Have a, have a great day. We'll see you all soon. <laughs> bye. All right, bye. Thank you.